There's this guy called Cornelius, if you look up above. Cornelius uh, is a Roman centurion, and he had an angel appear to him and say, hey, uh, you need to go, go and get Simon Peter, or actually I think Simon who they call Peter, or Peter who they call Simon. What does it say? Let's just look. If you want to know what the Bible says, look at the Bible. Uh, it says Simon who is called Peter. So they say, well, you, need, you need to get him to come to you because he's got to come and tell you some stuff. So uh, he sends some servants to go and get Simon, who they call Peter. And Simon, who they call Peter, is who we're about to read about, uh, is in Joppa at the house of Simon the Tanner. Just in case you're wondering. So there you go. Here's, now this is where we're up to. It says this, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure or unclean that God has made. This happened three times and immediately the sheet went back, in, back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you are looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. So yeah, there's the story. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk about it. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you uh, once again that we get to look at your word. Please uh, fill me with your spirit. Help me to say exactly what you want me to say. All of us to hear exactly what you want to say to us, and all of us to be able to respond obediently. Amen. So my mother has always had this thing against Coca-Cola. She just thinks it's a disgusting drink. And she told me when I was a kid that she would never buy me Coke, which naturally meant that I took every opportunity possible to drink Coke. Because I was like, what is this terrible drink? I want to find it and taste it. And I don't remember the first time I drank Coke, but it was pretty early on because I knew that it looked dark and sweet and I wanted to see what it was and I loved it. I loved it so much that any opportunity to drink Coke, I would take it. I became obsessed with drinking Coke. I would drink it, uh, I would save my money and I would buy it if I was at my grandparents' house. My grandfather would often say, what would you like? And I'd be like, do you have Coke Gramps? And he'd be like, yes, I do. And then he'd get me a can of Coke. And I'd be like, yeah. And my mother would be like, Gramps. 
And I, I loved it. And when I was uh, seven, I went on a plane to New Zealand and I was so excited about going on the plane and being able to drink a tiny little can of Coke that the, the air, uh, the, what are they called? The flight attendant, I don't want to say air host or hostess because I think you're not meant to say that. The flight attendant uh, pushed the trolley down the aisle and uh, they would bring out this little can of Coke. I was so excited about it. I was like, I'm not going to drink Coke for like months before I get on the plane so that when I taste that plain Coke, it will be the sweetest plain Coke I have ever tasted. And so I fasted from Coke until that moment. And I remember opening it and drinking it. Go, oh, it's amazing. And so I, and I loved Coke. I loved Coke so much that I didn't just drink it, that I wanted to know all about Coke. And so I started researching Coke and I would, I would read books about Coke. And I even started collecting Coke. I had a Coke collection. I collected Coke bottles and Coke cans and Coke towels and Coke clock. And I have a golden Coke bottle at home. I have a Coke bottle uh, that's from like the 1950s still with Coke in it. Like, like Coke, I loved Coke. In fact, I, I still love Coke. I love Coke because, I mean, even on this camp, I was reading a history of Coca-Cola. And uh, it was really fun until I finished it. And it only finished like in the mid-1990s. And I was like, what happened after that? I need the sequel. What happened to Coke in the new millennium? I need to know. Like, Coke is great. Anyway, the, the thing is, though, if you like Coke, then what comes with the territory of liking Coke is that you also have to hate Pepsi. <laughs> Pepsi is the worst drink ever. The evilest of all drinks. You know, Coke, when it was invented in... Uh, 1886 by Dr. John S. Pemberton became very, very popular uh, all over the, the United States. And then all these different, you know, imitators started popping up. And one popped up called Pepsi Cola. And they just made it just to capitalize on the success of Coke. They were like, we are going to be inferior and cheaper than Coke, and everyone will buy us because we are cheaper than Coke. That's it. They're just cheap. And nasty. That's what it's all about. And so I know that as a Coke drinker, I can never touch Pepsi. I cannot touch it because it's disgusting, imitation, cheap drinks. The worst. It's terrible. And what I also know is because it's the most evil drink in the world, that anyone who drinks Pepsi is also evil. <laughs> they are the worst because they are cheap imitation people. <laughs> they are the people who use Comic Sans and Papyra. <laughs> They are those people. They are the people who, who use the toilet paper and then leave one sheet on the roll so that they can pretend that they didn't finish the toilet paper. They are those people. They are the people who chew with their mouth open. They are the people who text in the middle of movies with their screen on full brightness. They are those people and they are the worst and I will not associate with them. Okay, I will associate with Pepsi people a little bit. Uh, but, uh, but this kind of, you know, hatred of someone because of what they drink or what they eat uh, is, you know, is a bit odd. It seems a bit strange. But we have all these kind of weird dividing lines that we put in our life and in society and we say 
this person is good because of this thing and this person is bad because of this thing and this person is acceptable because of this thing and this person is unacceptable because of this thing. And often they're just pretty arbitrary things that are more about preference uh, than about things which are actually good or actually bad. Uh, and what we see in this story that we're reading is that Peter has some lines that he will not cross. Uh, in the Jewish culture, uh, they were a people who God set them apart. And he said, you guys need to be different from the other people around. And so he gave them particular food laws. And he told them that they couldn't eat some kinds of animals. Like they can't eat uh, anything that comes from a pig, say. They can't eat shellfish or they can't eat um, like a, a, a goat cooked in its mother's milk. In case you're wanting to do that, can't do that. Uh, there's all these things that, you, that they could and couldn't eat. And the whole idea was for them that as they were eating these foods and not eating other foods, that they would remember, they would say, oh, I am someone who is different from everyone else because God has called me to be different. And it wasn't about saying those people are terrible and these people are the best, but about saying these people are different. We live differently because God has called us to be different in the world. But the way that kind of worked itself out is that they started to say, well, if there are food that is unclean, then the people who eat those foods are unclean. And those people are people that we can't associate with. And, and they had these laws that kind of went so far to say, like, you couldn't associate with them, you couldn't touch them, you couldn't go into their house, you, and you, you just couldn't be near them. And so the, the Jewish people got quite separate from everyone else. And then Jesus comes along and he, uh, at one point in Mark chapter 7, in case you're wondering, he declares all foods clean. Anyone can eat anything. It's fine. Uh, but most people didn't really pick up on the reference he was making there. And they just kind of kept eating the right foods and doing the Jewish thing. And, uh, and it gets to the point where, um, where Jesus uh, is about to go into heaven. He says, you guys are going to go and you're going to be my uh, witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where they were, in uh, Judea, which is part of Israel, and then in Samaria, which is connected to Israel, and they were the people who were kind of half Jews, like they were Jews, but they'd intermarried with other people and kind of changed the Jewish religion. And then they say, and then into to the ends of the earth. And Jesus is saying, you're going to take the good news of what I've done from, from where you are to your people, to the people who are kind of like you, to all people. That's what your job is. That's what Jesus gave them the job to do. And that's right at the beginning of Acts. And then all these Jewish Christians who are followers of Jesus just stayed in Jerusalem. And they're like, great. And they told a bunch of Jews about Jesus. But the message didn't go further. The message didn't really go beyond Jerusalem until there was this persecution. And, and then the, the Christians kind of scattered around, uh, around the place. And some people started to hear about Jesus. But still, it didn't travel far. And then we have this story here. And Peter is in the town of Joppa, which is, in case you want a little bit of Bible trivia, the same town that uh, Jonah went to when he was trying to escape from God. Not that that matters, but you know, now you know. Uh, and he's there and he's staying with this guy, Simon the Tanner. Uh, and he was someone who was probably not as clean as he should be in terms of Jewish food laws because his job was to kill animals and to um, use their skins to, to make stuff with. But but still, like Peter was kind of like pushing the boundaries a little bit. But now God is going to ask him to push the boundaries a whole lot more. And so Peter goes up on the, on the roof and he's up there to pray. And uh, he's hungry. 
Uh, and I don't know if you guys have ever prayed while hungry, uh, but it usually doesn't go as well as you'd like. Uh, I often pray while hungry, and usually my prayers go like this. Dear Lord, thank you for Jesus, and thank you that I have some leftovers in the fridge. Oh man, dinner last night was great. Oh, I love dinner. Oh, you know, the thing about leftovers is, oh, hold on, I'm praying. And God, I pray for my family. And I pray that, man, leftovers, when they're there, it's like kind of the juices kind of sink in and just taste so much better. And, oh, man, I don't have to. I've also got some, like, healthy rice. I could eat the healthy rice and tuna, and, but the leftovers, oh, hold on, I'm praying. And then, like, you just get distracted because you're thinking about food the whole time. And that's what happens to Peter. He's praying and he's hungry. And then they start to prepare the meal. And if they were cooking it, I'm not sure if they were cooking, but if they were cooking it, the smells would have like wafted up. And it was like, oh, oh. and then it says that he fell into a food trance. (laughs) It doesn't say food trance, but it is a trance and it's all about food. So it's a food trance. And it says, here's what happens. It says he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. So here's a sheet and it's, it's full of animals. It's full of the good, edible, clean animals in Jewish laws. And it's full of the unclean animals in Jewish laws. And they're all there before Peter. And the voice, uh, which is, seems to be God's voice, says, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. And Peter, at this point, it seems like he's going, oh, this is a test. And I'm always stuffing up. I always say the wrong thing. I will not say the wrong thing. I will get it right. And so he says, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And he was probably like, yes, I got it. Never. I would not eat this impure or unclean thing. I wouldn't do that because God, I obey you. I'm a good person, God. Yes. And then the voice says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And Peter would have been like, no, (laughs) I thought I had it that time. I thought I got it right. Poor old Peter. He's always getting it wrong. And just when he thought he'd said the right thing, he obeyed. He didn't want to break the rules. He gets told that he was breaking the rules again. Because here is God saying, here, eat this food. And Peter is essentially saying, I'm sorry, God. I can't obey you because I have to obey your rules to not eat those things. I can't obey God because I have to obey God. You understand God, don't you, God? Like that's kind of what's going on there. And then this thing happens to Peter three times because everything happens to Peter three times. <laughs> You'd think at least after the second time that it happened, he would have gone, hold on. Maybe I should change my answer. But no, it happens three times. Poor guy. <laughs> anyway, then he comes out of his trance. And he's thinking about it. And these people turn up who have come from this unclean Roman centurion. And they have been sent to him to find out the, the news that he has to share to them. 
And normally, before this vision, Peter would have been like, look, I can't associate with you because you're not clean. But he's thinking about the vision and the Holy Spirit says, no, go down and talk to them because they've been sent. And so he goes and talks to them. And then they say, come with us. And so as we read in the story, he then goes with them to Cornelius' house and he starts to tell them the good news about Jesus. But the first thing he says, he was like, he says, uh, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you were sent, ask, sorry, why you have sent for me? And so uh, he then uh, goes on to explain to them the good news of Jesus. And he's explaining the good news of Jesus. He doesn't even finish what he's saying before the Holy Spirit comes and the people get filled with the Holy Spirit and they start speaking in tongues, which is uh, in, the, in the Bible here, it's a sign uh, that they, they are people who are part of God's family. It's saying these people who you thought were unclean are part of God's family because Peter has to realize that the point of the vision was not about food at all. It wasn't so that, you know, we could eat bacon because some people are like, well, look, this means we can eat bacon. We can eat bacon and that's great. Praise the Lord. But Jesus had already solved that. Like in Mark chapter seven, no, the food was just a symbol for the people. And he's saying no person is unclean. You can't call anyone unclean because God wants all people to be able to come to him and put their trust in him. God wants everyone to be able to be saved by him everyone to know the good news of jesus so don't call anyone unclean don't say that anyone is out too far from the love of god don't say that anyone is outside of god's purposes because god wants everyone to come into his family and so what this means for us is that we need to be people who say oh well if that's true then then it's true now now, we don't have this Jew-Gentile divide going on very much these days. Uh, most, most of the time, we don't even talk about it you know, outside of what's happening in the Bible. Um, you know, I'm guessing that most people in this room you know, aren't Jewish, or if you are Jewish, you probably don't... Oh, if, no, if you have friends who are Jewish, you might not even know that they're Jewish because we don't talk about it that much. But we still do have these kind of dividing lines. There are different ways that we divide people up. I uh, was at a church uh, meeting once. It was a meeting of some of the leaders of the church. And they were discussing uh, whether or not they should be giving money to uh, help some refugees. And so they're like, oh, what could we do? How could we do it? And then one person spoke up and they're like, well, I, I think it's important to remember that the Bible encourages us to, to look after Christians. So uh, I, th I think we'd just make sure that the refugees we're helping are Christian refugees, which what they're really saying was, let's make sure that we aren't helping the Muslim refugees. We have to help the Christian refugees. Now, the Bible does say that Christians have to look after other Christians. That is true and that is important because we're family and we need to look after each other. But Jesus also said that we need to love our neighbor. And the whole point of the story of the Good Samaritan, where he talks about loving your neighbor, is that your neighbor is the person who is not like you. Your neighbor is the person who looks like your enemy. They're not your enemy, but they look like your enemy. And we have dividing lines. We have people who we say, those people are not my kinds of people. Those people, the kinds of people that, you know, they probably shouldn't, you know, receive the same benefits that I receive. 
We, either, we Sometimes we say it overtly or sometimes we just do it implicitly. And I heard one preacher kind of talk about like this. He asked the question of, if there was a sheet let down for you, what would be in your sheet? What kinds of people are you likely to discriminate against? What kinds of people are you likely to have a problem with? Do you feel unclean or do you feel the kinds of people that you don't want to associate with? And for some people, the, the sheet would be let down and there would be like halal food in there because they think that you know, Muslims are the enemy. And they need to know that, no, God loves all people. God loves Muslims and He loves Christians and He loves Jews and He loves Hindus. He loves all people. He wants all people to come to know Jesus Christ and put their trust in Him. For other people, it might be that the sheet gets let down and it's like a, a gay wedding cake. Because they feel that, you know, like, you know, there are some people because of, you know, their sexual orientation uh, who have, you know, who are are the kinds of people who you can't associate with because they're the enemy. Or there are, you know, probably these are not the ones for you, but what are the ones for you? If a sheet was let down, what would be the food that was in there? Maybe, maybe you're someone, you know, who is, has got a, particular problem with people of other other races maybe if there was like chinese food in there you'll be like look i'll take the food but not the people because you know we're happy to sometimes take one part of people's culture and leave the people what would be in your sheet the point is that this is saying to us there is no person who god doesn't want in his kingdom There is no person who is not valuable to God, no matter what their race is, no matter what their religion is, no matter what their sexual orientation is, no matter what their gender identification is, no matter uh, what, what their ability or their disability is, no matter who they are, they are people who God wants to know about Him and in His family. And so what are you going to do to be someone who breaks down those barriers? What are you going to do to identify the prejudices in yourself and then fight against them? Maybe it's to identify who are the people who you are fearful of or who are the people that you are, the the groups of people who you are angry at or who are the people who you don't want to associate with and then say, I'm going to go and associate with them. I'm going to spend time with them because I promise you when you spend time with the people who you discriminate against or you're afraid of or who you... um, who you don't like, when you spend time with them, you will see that they are just like you. That they are people who are loved by God and made in God's image and people who God wants to know and love Him. And sometimes it's not even about a race or a group of people or a particular culture. Sometimes it's just, it's just particular personality types or particular people. And when you're in leadership, uh, there'll be like some just particular people who you're like, I just don't like them. I would, I would much rather, you know, say you're leading on camp, you'd be like, I'd much rather hang out with the interesting, fun kids rather than the annoying kid. And you've got to say, look, I'm going to love the interesting, fun kids and I'm going to love the annoying kid and I'm going to put extra effort into the annoying kid because I know that God put extra effort into me. What are you going to do to break down the prejudices within yourself and help break down the prejudices within our society so that all people can be people who can receive the love of God. The second thing that that I want to say, and this is the last thing that we're going to look at, 
is that the whole point of this story is that, as I was saying, that the gospel had to go further. The good news of what Jesus had done had to go further. Jesus was talking to Peter so that Peter would know that this wasn't just good news for the Jews. And it wasn't just good news for the Jews and some Samaritans. It was good news for everyone, for the whole world. The reason why you and I know about Jesus today is because of what happened for Peter on that roof. Because after that point, Peter went out and he started telling other people who were Jews and not Jews all about Jesus. And the message of Jesus spread beyond just Jerusalem and just Judea and just Samaria. It spread to the ends of the earth. It spread to the Romans and it spread to the Greeks and it spread to the Visigoths, perhaps. (laughs) I don't know. It spread to the the English. It spread to the people in India. It spread to, to China. It spread to South America. It spread to Australia. We know about Jesus now because of what happened for Peter on that roof. Because Jesus knew that the message of what he had done, it needed to go further. And it still needs to go further. This is a message that just has to keep getting out there. Uh, when I got engaged, uh, my wife and I had had discussions. We weren't, she wasn't my wife then. We had discussions beforehand. We we're like, we're going to get engaged. But what we're going to do, if we're going to get engaged, we need to have a really good social media plan. Because we would look at other people get engaged and we'd look at how many likes they got on Facebook. And they'd like, it was like 2014 when we got engaged. And so these days when people get engaged, like likes can poof, be really high, like 900. In those days, you know, you're like, you'd be doing well if you hit like the 400 mark. And so we were like, let's go for 450. I'm like, yes. It's like, that's individually or between us? We're like, we'll do between us because... You know, then we don't have to aim as high. And so then we're like, all right, we want to get hit 450. And we also want to make sure that, you know, we get it out there as, as smoothly as possible. So we had this plan. We're like, first, we got, we, we get engaged. And then we're like, we've got to take a photo. We've got to be a good photo that's shareable on social media. So we did the engagement, which is great and romantic. And I was like, great, social media time. So we took our first photo, which was a photo of her standing and looking into the camera. And she was holding up her ring. And she was looking at it. And she looked like this. And I looked behind and go, and I was like, that's a funny photo, isn't it? Because you're meant to be excited when you get engaged. And she looks angry. Isn't that funny? <laughs> and so we stuck that on, on we, first we SMSed it to friends and family, and then we stuck it on uh, Instagram. And, and then we went home to my place and we made a video of the fake engagement where we're sitting on the couch together. And I was like, hey, do you want to get engaged? And she was like, oh, yeah. And then I cut in like some people dancing and clapping and fireworks going off. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, cool. It didn't really happen. But I was like, that's a funny video, isn't it? Because you're meant to be really excited when you get engaged. And we're just like, you know, really kind of calm. And, you know, it's uh, like deadpan. That's the word. I was like, that'll go well. So then we stuck that on, on Facebook. We're like, let's see what happens. And then the likes started coming in. And, and then we wanted to be like, we're just going to make sure it gets out there as quickly as possible. So as many people know as need to know. And eventually we did the, the thing where you put up, you change your relationship status. And we did it together at the same time. And then we hit our goal of 450 likes. We're like, yeah, we made it. But the whole thing was about, we've got to get this news out there. And we've got to get it out there as effectively as possible. And we've got to get it out there so it gets the best response. So the people who can, everyone who needs to hear about it can hear about it. 
We don't want people like, you know, hearing from someone, you know, three months down the track, oh, do you hear Tom and Em got engaged? No, we want them to know at the right time through us rather than other people. We want it to be done right because it's important news that needs to be spread around. Now, our engagement was not that important and most of the world did not need to know about it. In fact, you know, I needed to know about it and M needed to know about it and then, you know, the government needed to know about it. Then after that, it wasn't all that important. But we just wanted to get that news out there. Now, the news of what Jesus has done for us is news that has to get out there and we need to work hard at it. Like, I don't know whether you've had social media strategies for your life to announce things. My guess is you have, but you pretend you don't, but you have. You've planned your posts and you've planned how things are going to go. Well, how much planning are we putting into getting the good news of Jesus out there? Because that is news that has to go further. That is good news. That's much more interesting news than me getting engaged or my birthday or you know, how, you know, how many Cokes I drank. Like, like this, all these things that we put on social media are, are interesting, but there's nothing compared to the good news of what God has done for us. Like This is the good news to announce that the war is over, that God has made peace between himself and humanity through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. This is good news that just has to go further. It has to keep going. And so we should dedicate ourselves to making sure that people know about this. And we dedicate ourselves to making sure that people know about this, whoever they are, that it's not just we save it for the, the middle-class people who live in like middle-class Sydney. We say, no, it's got to go for the rich people and for the poor people. It's got to go to the, to the people who look like me and the people who don't look like me. And the, the people who live like me and the people who don't live like me. And the people who are the same age as me and the people who are older than me and the people who are younger than me. Everybody needs to know the good news of Jesus. This message has to go further. And so the last thing I want to say to you is, if you want to be someone who is devoted to following Jesus, if you want to be someone who is devoted to being a leader for Jesus, then your whole life needs to be about how do I get the good news of Jesus out there so that more people know. The whole reason that this camp exists and this camp has camps here at Kedron have been happening for over 50 years is because we want the good news of Jesus to get out there so that more and more people can know. What can you do so that more people can know about Jesus? Because this message has to go further. It's got to go further to all people, whether they are like you or not, whether you like them or not, whether you, you think they're great or you're afraid of them. All people are people that God loves. All people are people who, are, who can be made clean by Jesus. No one is the kind of person that you cannot associate with because all people are people that Jesus wants to associate with. And he came for them. You know, Jesus did the biggest thing by traveling from heaven to earth and becoming one of us. There is nothing as big as that. Now we get the job of traveling beyond our comfort zones, maybe beyond our friendship groups, maybe beyond our school or our workplace, maybe beyond the place where we live. How far will Jesus call you to share the good news of what he has done? All people know it need to know it. This news needs to go further. And it is for all people, no matter who they are, no matter what they look like, where they come from, their abilities or disabilities, whoever they are, this message is for them. What are you going to do to help them know about what Jesus has done? That he loves them, he came and he lived and he died and he rose for them. How will you let them know?
If you are not a Christian, then this, what, what this means for you is that this good news is for you first. That you need to respond to this. Put your trust in Jesus. You've heard about it all week. If you haven't already done it, it's time now to put your trust in Jesus. Go and chat to your leader and tell them, I want to give my life to him and follow him. Let them know, because we want you to accept this great gift of Jesus. And if you are a Christian, then what this means for you is you need to, one, figure out where it is that you are someone who discriminates within you. Where are your prejudices? Who are the kinds of people that you don't like? And how can you break them down so that you can know how much Jesus loves them? And then how can you take this good news of Jesus and share it with whoever God sets before you? Whoever God calls you to share it with so that all people can know this good news that just has to keep going further to the very ends of the earth so that all people might know the love of God. I'm going to pray. Lord God, thank you that you are a God who loves us, that you did not discriminate against us, that you were willing to send your son Jesus and that Jesus was willing to associate with the worst of people, that he was willing to associate with me. Lord God, I pray that we will remember this grace of Jesus towards us and that we will be taking the grace of Jesus to all people, no matter who they are, no matter what they are like, because we know that this good news has to go further. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.